Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Because it was the psalmist who writes in Psalm 30, verse 5, Psalm 30, verse 5, he says this, For his anger, speaking of the Lord, is but for a moment. His favor is for life. And then he says this, Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Now, you've heard that oftentimes. Weeping is but what? For a night, and joy comes in the morning. Now, what I want to draw your attention to is the return of God's favor or the return of his joy, when you think about it, to an afflicted soul is, is really like life from the dead, is it not? If you've ever been in a position where you've, you've just felt the weight of the world and, and your soul is afflicted, I, I can't help but think of what David says. Oftentimes he said, why is my soul, why is my, my, my soul so downcast, Lord? And he says, keep your, keep your eyes towards the Lord. And, and, and again, when we're afflicted like that, when we find the joy of the Lord, it's, it's again, we feel like we have come back to life, if you will. There's nothing so reviving. See, all of our joy, guys, is bound up in God's favor. And if we have that, we have an infinite treasure wherever else, basically, whatever else that you may want. Well, let me illustrate it this way, okay? Our natural life is from, is from God's favor. See, in Him, we live, we move, and we have our being. He secures us from innumerable evils. He gives us bread and water and clothing and health and strength and intellect. That's our natural life. But then you also have our spiritual life, and that's favor from God. And of course, then we have eternal life from the favor of God. And by favor, we become entitled, right, to heaven by the merits and the righteousness of Christ, not our righteousness, which if understood, think about it, guys, it brings a wonderful amounts of joy, joy. Now, again, let me clarify this because there are times when you go, well, Pastor Ben, I'm not happy all the time. As a matter of fact, I was ugly today or so forth. But joy is just something inside you that you know that, that God wants to bring out. And again, we can look at it as our natural life. You go, okay, God, thank you. Thank you, for, you know, to, to being with us, right, to providing today. All of these things in our clothing and our health and our strength and our intellect. And we thank you for our spiritual life as we begin to walk. We know that in the book of Matthew, he says that we are satisfied. Okay, I got that. And even in our eternal life, thinking that when this life is over, we have a life that we don't even, we can't even begin to comprehend. And that should bring, if understood, joy. Now listen, the one commodity that we have as a believer is joy. And the one thing the enemy of our soul wants to steal is our joy. The enemy wants to steal that. Guys, we need to, we need to go. He wants to come. He wants to rob you of that joy. And you go, well, pastor, how, how does he do it? I mean, I, mean I, I want this joy, and I always feel like oh, people tell me, don't let him rob you of your joy. Well, let's do this, guys. Let's start off right off the bat with some application. Let me give you four ways the enemy steals our joy. Four ways, okay? If you're taking note, jot this down. The first thief of our joy is circumstances. Circumstances always come in and try to steal our joy. It's what Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 1, 12 to 14. Listen as Paul writes. He says, but I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that in my chains, my chains are in Christ. 
And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident in my change, he says, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul just said to you and I that it was a good thing that he had been arrested. He says, the reason why is that I have won more people to Christ. And in fact, other Christians who previously were fearful of witnessing have become soul winners for God. I'm telling you right now, think about this, guys. Circumstances will always try to rob us of our joy. You wake up in the morning and you say, how did I get here? I mean, last week we were, I seemed to be cruising. I, th- I thought things were really well and, and, and I thought my life was going exactly how I wanted. And today everything seems to be falling apart. One of the number one things the enemy will use, guys, is circumstance to steal us, to steal and rob us of our joy. But if we understand the word of God, now listen, I get that it's hard. I understand that this is hard. You know, me as a pastor isn't just going, well, just do it, just do it, man, if you just did it. But, but here's the thing. We need to allow the circumstances in our life, we need to understand why they are. And instead of going, why me? Anybody have a, anybody a why me? We need to say, Lord, what can I learn? Help me to learn and help me to grow from this. That's the one thing the enemy would do. We'll go, what's the second thing? Well, if you're taking note, jot this down. The second theme, the second thief of our joy is people people. You go, well, that's Captain Obvious. It is, isn't it? Each of us have lost our joy. Why? Because of people at some point in our lives. People will often rob us of our joys. We can't control what they do. We can't control how they think. We can't control them, and yet they are designed in some way or another to steal our joy if we let him. As a matter of fact, Paul still in Philippians chapter 2 says this. He says, fulfill ye my joy that you may be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord of one mind. Let nothing be done through, through strife or vainglory, but in the lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not at every man at his own things, but every man also on the things of others. So what does Paul tell us? He says, guys, there's a thief, and sometimes we allow that thief to be people. People will come in, there'll they'll, they'll be circumstances, there'll be people. You go, well, what's the third thing? Well, jot this down. The third thing that steals our joy, the third thief of joy are things, are things. I want you to think about this for a moment. People want things, material things. People want things, yet they're never satisfied. And possessions will sometimes rob us of our joy. Why? Well, think about it. Things break. They get old. They don't work very well. And somehow you go, man, if I just had this, if I just could have the the latest and the greatest, and then I'd be happy. This would be amazing. And I would just, but you got to realize that those things will oftentimes steal your joy because you're putting your hope and trust in the latest thing. Now, again, Pastor Ben, is it wrong to have possession? It's not wrong to have possession as long as you don't are, as long as you're not possessed by those possessions, because they will oftentimes steal you, and rob you of your joy. Wow. Awesome. The fourth thief of joy is worry. Is worry. You think about worry for just a moment, okay? So so you've got you've got circumstances, you've got people, you go, Pastor, that's my job. Are you kidding me? We've got things. 
But then, but then really, worry is something that comes and steals, us, steals our joy, isn't it? Do you know what worry is meant to do? Worry is meant to be pulled apart. Our fears pull us one way, and our faith pulls us another in the opposite direction. And it will oftentimes, I mean, think about it. I, I am, guys, I am notorious for worry. I mean, it could even get to the place where it could be even called sin. I just worry. What is this? What's going to happen? Why me? All of these things in my life. And yet, I think about it, guys. Worry is like that rocking chair that both will provide you something to do, but yet not go anywhere, right? You just sit there. You're doing something, and I know, and it steals us of our joy. Why? Because, man, you might be having a great day. And you're just excited about stuff. And it's like, wow, I can't believe this. This is awesome. And then, and then what, either a circumstance or a thing or a person, which usually leads to worry, right? person usually, they do something, they say something. And now, well, you're looking at me like you don't believe me. Let me ask you this. Have you ever said something or somebody has, has somebody ever called you up and say, hey, I want to talk to you. Can we talk? And they have that tone of voice where you go, Oh, that, they don't want to just, they don't want to, they want to talk about something serious. And automatically your brain goes, what did I say? What did I do? I wonder if I offended them. Oh my goodness. Uh, what, 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 do you, what do we need to talk about? As a, no, that's all good. Okay. Why? Well, guys, listen, listen. The fourth thief of joy is, is worry. And don't let worry rob you of the joy that God has given you. It was Thomas Brooks who wrote, Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Their morning shall last till morning. God will turn their winter's night into a summer's day, their sighing into singing, their grief into gladness, their mourning into music, their bitter into sweet, their wilderness into paradise. Yes, it was the psalmist who said, you know, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. See, tonight, guys, in Ezra chapter 6, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going we're to talk about sowing in tears, yet reaping in joy. And the psalmist also declares in Psalm 126, verse 5 and 6, says, those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves with him, right? Sowing in tears, reaping in joy. Now, concerning the matter of sowing in tears and reaping in joy, think about for a few minutes the first, think about the first few minutes about the book of Ezra. The book of Ezra, guys, we think about it. I want you to just, just meditate on it for just a moment. They were, right, called back to rebuild the temple. They came back. They were excited. We know the story, right? They were rebuilding the city of Jerusalem, the temple, and the foundation of the living God. They were excited. Why? Because they could worship again. And here's what I want you to see. They were so excited because for 70 years, they weren't able to worship God the way they wanted to worship God. Why? Because of disobedience and idolatry, Nebuchadnezzar came in from Babylon, and he took them over to Babylon. 70 years because, again, 70 years they're sitting there waiting. 50,000 people come back, and now they're excited to build the temple. Now, here's what I want you to see. It was Nehemiah who said, we need to build the walls. And if you go to there today, I mean, it is the walls of the old city. You can see that. But they were there to lay the foundation of the temple. They're excited. But God had other plans. 
God said, not only do they, what? Not only do we need to build the foundation for worship, but I really want to build the foundation of your heart. Why? For the last 70 years, you've walked away from serving me. And as a matter of fact, the way you're living, listen to me, Israel, the way you're living, you're discouraging everyone else to live a godly life. You see, for us, the application is clear. When it comes to sin, we think, well, it's not hurting anybody else. My sin. But we got to realize that sin hurts everyone in striking distance. And there are people who are watching your lives and they see you do something and they go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, I'm confused. You said you were a Christian. You said you were a believer. You said, man, you posted on social media how you trusted in God and how he was the only one. And then I see you doing this. I'm confused. And that's exactly what's going on. And God says, no, 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 you're my kids. You need to behave like I'm your dad got to behave guys and so and so we have to what well he says we need to rebuild your heart we need to rebuild your heart you guys forgotten my laws and to make matters worse again guess what they were doing they were disregarding them in front of people well if you recall in Ezra chapter 1 guys It tells us how God dealt with Cyrus, the king of Persia, to issue a decree setting the people of God to go free back and restore the city of God. That was an amazing miracle in itself. Think about it. They had been there for 70 years. God put in the heart of a heathen king to, hey, you guys are welcome to go home. Go home. Go build that. This is crazy. This is crazy. In Ezra chapter 2, guess what? It tells us that 50,000 of the million Jews living in captivity there in Persia responded to the call. And, and here's what breaks my heart. It was just a small remnant. It was just a small remnant of those who said, I want to go home. I'm ready to go home. Let's go back. 50,000 of them. And I don't know about you guys, but I look at this and I think, I think, man, I... I am super stoked about serving God and, and, and presenting the gospel and seeing people come to know the Lord. But I don't know about you, but I'm ready to go home too. And I, I, and I know, I know that God is using us and I know God is every day at our jobs and our schools and wherever else God wants to use us. But think about this, think about this. There are times when I go, okay, God, I'm ready to go home. Anybody with me? Okay. Now, let's think about this for just, let me just reel this in. Let me ask you a question, okay? Deep question, deep sin. Why do you want to go home? Pastor, why do I want to go? Of course I want to go home. Here's what we got to watch, guys. We got to walk the fine line for wanting to go home because we love Jesus, not because things are rotten down here. I've met a lot of people that go, oh my goodness, life is so horrible. I hate this, I hate that. I'm ready to go home. I just quit. I want, to go, I want to go home because I want to see Jesus. I want to see, I love him, and I want to be there with him. Those, and I'll admit, at times, those, I'm that guy. I just, I'm out. Lord, I'm out. I've had it with this life. I want to go home. And that's when I realized, listen to me, the enemy has stolen my joy. And when God revives me, it's like, I want to go home because I love the Lord. And, and, and listen, I can handle down here, God. I've got this. As long as you're with me and in me and walking through me, I've got, the, okay, okay, I'm good, I'm good. And the joy returns. 
So the question, guys, is why do you want to go home? Why do you want to go home? They wanted to go home as long as God was with them. We'll go, back to, we'll go back to Jerusalem. How many want to go? Just a remnant, just a handful. I want to be part of that handful. I'm ready, I'm ready to go home. Well, here's the problem. I'm sure they thought this is all going to be like awesome. And the first half of Ezra chapter 3 describes the children of Israel arriving home, rebuilding the altar, establishing the sacrifices. I mean, this was to them, this was amazing. And then the second half of Ezra 3 describes the remnant of people starting to work and rebuilding the temple of the Lord. And if we stopped in chapter 3, this would be an amazing book. Why? Because Cyrus said, go back. They went back and they began worshiping the Lord. And it was amazing and it was good. The problem is, is that chapter 4 shows up. And what happens in chapter 4 is the enemy launches their first assault on the whole process of restoration. You go, how did they do that? They did it so hard, guys, that the work, the rebuilding of the, of the city of God had stopped. The enemy of God's people tried different methods to stop Israel from charging forward. You go, how so? Well, they tried trickery. You guys remember that? They tried to trick the dudes. They tried to come in and go like, hey, we're with you. We want to build a temple, right? They were trying to infiltrate it and defeat it from within, from within. I want you to think about this. It's not in my notes. The Lord just gave it to me. But I want you to think about who influences you the most. What friends do you have? Who, who, who speaks into your life? You want people in your life that's going to speak life and, and, and encouragement into your life. You hang around with God, with, with friends, and, 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 and they want to infiltrate your life. You, you find yourself drifting from the Lord. They're not speaking life. They're speaking death. Yeah, okay, okay, Pastor, you got me, you got me. Be careful, because that's how the enemy works. They also tried intimidation. Do you remember that? You need to stop. They tried fear. And they had some success. Finally, guess what they do, guys? They resorted to political pressure, and all of a sudden, Israel stopped dead in their tracks. Okay, work's done. We're done. We're done. Fine, fine. Israel, hey, listen. Listen up, Israel. Hey, listen. Let, let's go back to the journey, okay? The journey, right? You were, you were in captivity. You were, you were in prison, if you will. You couldn't leave 70 years in Babylon, Okay? Cyrus says, go back, you're excited, you begin to worship, you begin to sacrifice, you're praising God, and because of opposition, you stop the work. You call it quits. You call it quits. For how long? Well, 16 years, guys. It wasn't until chapter 5 comes around and two prophets come in, and it was Haggai and Zechariah to bring the word of the Lord, and he said, guys, 16 years, what are you doing? You came back 16 years. What were they doing, guys? What were they doing for 16 years? The work of the temple had stopped. They've given up. Trickery, intimidation, fear, political, all of this stuff, right? They've given up. What would they do? What did they do? They went to build their own houses. They're like, well, temple of God's, well, you know, government got in this. We need to stop. And so they go back and they begin to build their houses. And it wasn't until Haggai is going, consider your ways. What are you guys doing? Listen, let's get, the, let's get the worship on first. 
And once the worship is going, once, once the temple is rebuilt, once the walls are up, guys, then you can build your houses. And so after 16-year break in the action, the people of the Lord get back to rebuilding the house. And this time the Bible tells us in Ezra chapter 5 that the prophets were there helping them, holding them to the task. And I love that. Why? Well, guys, listen, we're supposed to do life together. We're supposed to encourage each other together. We're supposed to help each other in our deepest and darkest days. This is what, this is what the body of Christ, then you go, pastor, it's going in one year and out the other. No, listen, when it comes to building lives, this is what we're called to do. We're called to, listen, and, and here's the thing. We all have to do the work. And you go, why? Because I sit there and, and even today, Josh reminded me of somebody and he's like, hey, have you heard from them? And I had not even, th- I mean, I was like, oh, I, wow. And so the point is, is, that, is that as God begins to work in each of our lives, you're not totally dependent on the pastor or pastors to do the work of the ministry. We're supposed to do life together. We're supposed to call each other. Why? Well, there they are building the task, right? And they look, and there's the pastors. There they are working alongside. Hey, I'm with you. This is a beautiful picture of, of the body of Christ working together and not the picture we get in today's Christianity. In today's Christianity, we see pastors sitting in, in mega mansions and the, and, the, and, and the people are doing the work. And here we go, no, it was Haggai and, Zer- and Zechariah. There they are working alongside. Why? Because God called us all to be one body. And last week, we left off, right? Do you remember where we left off last week? Tatanai and, Sh- and Shehar Bozanai sent a letter to Darius. Darius is the king. They said, hey, guys, can you, hey, listen, can you check the records and see if Cyrus really did issue a decree allowing the children of Israel to come home and rebuild the temple? Now, think about this, guys. Here's why, here, here's why I've called this message sowing in tears, reaping in joy. You go, why? Because there were many tears in, in the rebuilding of the temple. There were many tears when the enemy came in by trickery and tried to get them to stop. Oh, man, well, can't believe this. There were many tears, right, when there was a government shutdown. Let's shut down the work of, of, of the Lord. And, and they're, are you kidding me? Could you imagine? Maybe it's just for a little bit. Maybe it's just for a little bit. We'll get back to work and we'll be worshiping, you know. And there you are trying to encourage your little ones, right? Because, because you're good Jewish and you're saying, hey, it's okay. In six months, we'll, we'll have the temple and we'll be back to worshiping the Lord. And year one goes, okay, okay, maybe next year and year two. Have you heard anything from the year three? 16 years go by. That's a long time. That's a long time. Think about this, guys. Our church is 14 years old. 14 years old from where we landed. We started this thing in the clubhouse, right, of the apartment building. Welcome to Calvary. All right. And so, you know, I mean, it, it was, it, that's how we started. And we're only 14. Two more years of doing nothing is what Israel was doing. And it was, it was a lot of tears. Because the work of the Lord had stopped. Hey, let me ask you, let, let, let's, let's, um, 
Let's take a moment and personalize it. You see, the work is, God is doing a work in your life. God is doing a work in your heart. God is building you. He's, he's got a plan and a purpose. And I know there are times when you go, I don't see it, Pastor. I don't feel it. I don't know what's going on. Trust me, God is still doing a work in your life. But sometimes in your life, the work has stopped. And I wonder, I wonder in your life, in my life, do we recognize that and are there tears in our lives because of that? I mean, think about it like this. Think about your, your work. Think about the work in your heart. Think about what God is doing. And then when that stops, let me illustrate it this way. Abraham. Abraham, Abraham, you're going to have a son. All right, but you see my wife, right? She's old, right? She is really old. Abraham, you're going to have a son. It's going to be amazing, right? Well, Abraham says, baby, we're going to have a son. And she's like, are you kidding me? Uh-uh, I'm old. I'm like really old. I'm just telling you what God said. Now, you guys remember what happened, right? He goes off and he has a child, but it's not the child of promise. You guys remember who it was? It was Ishmael, Ishmael. And God's like, that's not what I told you to do. You're going to have a child. Now, here's what the point I want to get to. It was 13 years from the time Ishmael was born to the time God spoke to him again. 13 years. And I wonder if in those times, Abraham would be crying with some tears of, of just sowing some, right? right? Some tears. God, I, I don't feel you anymore. I don't, I, I just don't. And then the 13th year, God spoke to Abraham and, and his joy was restored. But let's bring that to a personal level. It's really scary when you, when, when, when you don't hear the voice of the Lord anymore. And you have to take a step back. And I think of the church of Ephesus in the book of Revelation, right? Man, they were doing everything. They were going through the motions. They were like the, the, they were like the mega church of the Bible. I mean, this was good. And yet, what did he say? You guys, you, you guys are you're missing it, man. You've left your first love. He says, go back and repent. And for some of us, we have to take a look deep down in our hearts and say, God, where did I, where am I missing it? Because I want to hear your voice. I want to hear your voice. Back in Ezra, the work had stopped. There were tears. But think about this. Now, in chapter 5, we see joy is about to come. Joy is about to come. And you go, why? Well, this time, guys, the Lord tells them, stay focused. Stay focused, even in spite of continued opposition. And that's our application for us. Look, guys, in your walks with God, you have to stay focused. You have to stay focused. I'll never forget... Um, we had just planted the church, and, and it was really, really small, and, and um, we had to go back to New Mexico for 
something. I think we were like maybe a year, maybe a year old, I think, and I was real discouraged. And I remember meeting with the pastor from Calvary Chapel Rio Rancho that had sent us out here. And I just told him, I'm just discouraged. I thought we'd have more people and, and we'd be doing more stuff. And it's just really, it's just a really, I mean, and he told me, you need to stay, you need to have that like, you know, that pit bull grip on there. He said, you need to stay focused on that. Don't give up. Don't give up. And that's kind of the attitude we've had. It's like, we're here. We're going to hold on. We're going to stay focused. Despite opposition, we're going to stay focused. Why? Because joy is about to come. And that's where we pick up our story, guys. Chapter 6, verse 1. Darius gets the letter, right? And he reads it. This is his response. Then King Darius, chapter one, uh, chapter 6, verse 1, Then King Darius issued a decree, and a search was made in the archives where the treasurers were stored in Babylon. And Akmetha in the palace, that is the providence of Media, a scroll was found, in, and in it a record was written. Now, that's verse 1 and 2. Here's what I want you to catch. They do this search in Babylon. But it's not there. It's not in Babylon. It's actually found in the fortress of um, Ekbana there in Cyrus' summer residence. So they find it there. Tanthi and I sent the letter to Darius. Now, do you guys remember why he sent that? He was expecting the, the king to send back um, orders to shut down the work at once. He says, hey, is this, did that really happen? And he was expecting Darius to go, that didn't happen. Shut it down. Don't let the Jews do anything. But that's not the case. Why? Because when joy comes, joy comes in different ways. Now, let me, let me go back, okay? Let me remind you. Let's, let's reel this in just a little bit. There are oftentimes things steal our joy, right? Things, circumstances, people, and worry. All of those things. And there's probably many more. I just gave you four. But God is going to do his very best so that we can see how to regain that joy. How so? Well, if you're taking note, we're going to see that God wants us to know his joy through his providential care. How he's going to provide for us. And we're going to see that based on the letter back to Tatanai. Look at verse 3. He says this. Here's his letter back. In the first year of King Cyrus, King, uh, uh, the first year of King Cyrus, King Cyrus issued a decree concerning the house of God at Jerusalem. Quote, let the house be rebuilt. The palace where they offered sacrifices, let the foundations of it be firmly laid. Its height 60 cubits, its width 60 cubits. With three rows of heavy stones and one row of new timber, let the expense be paid from the king's treasury. Now, if you're taking note, joy is restored and joy comes from watching God provide for us in supernatural ways. Did you see that? You go, why? Because here's what the decree was. Let he says, here's the decree. Yes, let him build. And by the way, let the expenses be paid from where? The king's treasury. Right? Isn't that amazing? He tells him, go back. Go back and build the great temple of God and we'll pay for it. Only God can do that. Only God can do that, right? And so he's like, go back. No problem. No problem. And, and, and just there it is. And then he says in verse 5, look, 
He says, oh, by the way, and also let the gold and the silver articles of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took from the temple, which is in Jerusalem, and brought to Babylon, be restored and taken back to the temple, which is in Jerusalem, each to its place, and deposit them in the house of God. Okay, your attention, please. You have God going, listen, yes, we're going to build a temple. As a matter of fact, we're going to pay for it, the king's treasury. So if you're, if, you're an, if you're in opposition to the work of the Lord, you're already struggling. Why? You're like, man, that's not what I expected. I didn't expect him to find a letter. I expected them to shut this thing down. I don't understand. And now all of a sudden, the letter comes back, and it's like, as a matter of fact, this. Oh, and by the way, the silver articles? Yeah, those need to go back to Israel too, right? You guys remember that? Do you remember the silver, the gold and silver articles from our Daniel study? Man, that got one king in, in hot water. As a matter of fact, it killed him, right? It was in Daniel chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. It says this, And Belshazzar, the king at that time, made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in the presence of a thousand. So this dude was having like a party. He was having a great time. And while he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and silver vessels which his father, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken from the temple, which was in Jerusalem, that the king and his lords and his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Now, here it is. This is, a, this is not good. This is a mistake. Those were dedicated to the Lord. Nebuchadnezzar took them, put them in Babylon, Belshazzar's like, hey, bring out those things. And they brought out the gold vessels and they had taken from the temple to the house of God, which has been in Jerusalem. The king of his lords, his wives, his concubines, they drank. They had a party. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze and iron, wood and stone. In the same hour, the fingers of a man appeared and wrote opposite of the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote, and you guys know, all of a sudden this finger comes up, Belshazzar freaks out, you guys know the story, but it's all based because he took the silver and the gold vessels, right? And, and what was the result? As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us at the end of chapter 5 of Daniel that Belshazzar got killed. He died that night. Cyrus is like, oh, make, make sure those go back too. Make sure those go back too. Let the gold and the silvers go back to Jerusalem. That's where they need to be in the temple. Now, I want you to think about this. That should have rejoiced all of the people in Israel. It's coming back. Everything's coming back, right? Now, notice verse 6. Now, therefore, Tatanai, governor of the region beyond the river, and Shethar, Bosnii, and your companions, the Persians who are beyond the river. Here's what he says. You ready? Keep yourselves far from there. Keep yourselves, right? Guys, listen to me. Another part of joy is God's amazing provision by keeping these guys away from the work. I'm telling you right now, this letter backfired because all of a sudden he's like, listen, here's the deal. You guys stay away from that. And I believe, guys, there are times we'll sow in tears, but then we'll be able to reap in joy. Can you imagine? We're able to now begin and complete the work of God because there is a decree from the king that says, y'all, you can't come around here no more. Only God can do that. 
So, so here's my question. Right now, put yourself in Israel's sandals. You started the work. Your kids have grown up a little bit. Your work stopped for 16 years. And now you've started again. You've got the prophet Haggai and the prophet Zechariah with you. And things are started. And all of a sudden, you get this letter. And it's, and it's just overwhelming. You're going, wait a minute, wait a minute. Because you're thinking, how are we going to pay for this? Oh, wait a minute. God's got it covered. The silver and gold articles are coming back. That's amazing, man. That's amazing. This is where they should be. Oh, by the way, our enemies, stay away. So here's my question. Here's my question. Do you think Israel had enough faith at this point to trust the Lord? Do you think for a moment in time that when, when Tats and I guys asked to send a letter that they thought, oh man, we're in trouble. What if there is no letter? What if, what if, help me guys, what if our God doesn't show up on our behalf? Ever been there? Ever been there in your walk? What if God doesn't show up? What if he's not behind this? What if he's, and yet here comes this letter. And now their hearts are rejoicing. Are you serious? Yeah, here's the point, guys. In your walks, in my walk, how much better the joy of the Lord knowing, knowing, and having the faith that God has already taken care of. Now, listen, I, I'm not going to pander y'all and say, it's easy. Don't let the enemy rob you of your joy. He's good at it. But if we can learn just a little bit tonight to say, okay, that's the enemy trying to rob me. I'm not going to stand for this. My God is already there. He's already provided for me. And he's already, he's already working on my behalf. That's where I need to stand, even if it is for just an hour. Just an hour. And I wonder, verse 7, he's part of the letter. Let the work of the house of God alone. Guys, don't do it. Let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews rebuild the house of the God on sight. Did you see that? Now, I love verses 8 to 10. Here's what I want you to write down. God wants us to know the joy of his providential care for us. God wants us to know the joy that he's going to provide for us. How so? Look at verse 8. Moreover, he says, I issue a decree as to what you shall do for the elders of these Jews for the building of the house of God. Let the cost be paid by the king's expense from taxes on the region beyond the river. This is... This is to be given to these men so that they are not hindered. And whatever they need, young bulls, rams, the lambs for the burnt offerings of the God of heaven, wheat, salt, wine, oil, according to the request of the priests who are in Jerusalem, let it be given to them day by day without fail, that they may offer sacrifice of sweet aroma to the God of heaven, and I pray for the life of the king and his Sons, guys, why do I love this verse? Okay, so two things are going on right here, okay? When the enemy seeks to steal your joy through circumstances or people or even worry, we need to remember these two things. If you're taking out number one, 
God's house is going to be rebuilt, and Tanti and I is actually going to have to fund the project out of the tax revenue. It's going to be deep. Guess what? God's going, as a matter of fact, you're paying for it. You're paying for it. Right? And here's what I want you to see. Only God can provide in, in such a way. Only God can provide in such a way. See, here's what we need to know. The letter backfired. Now, whatever is needed to rebuild the temple is provided by those who were trying to stop the work. William MacDonald once wrote this. He says, God's activity throughout history in providing for the needs of human beings, especially those who follow him in faith. Providence occurs because God cares about the universe and everyone in it. All through the centuries of human existence, there have been those who took great comfort in the fact of providence. It means realizing at certain places in life that God has been there before. It is the evidence that God has not left us on this planet alone in the vast universe or has forgotten for a moment the human situation. God visits, touches, communicates, controls, intervenes, coming before us between men and his needs. Providence is ground for thankfulness. You go, Pastor, what was the point? Here's the point, guys. When we understand that God has already been there, our joy can return. Our joy can return. When we know that God is providing in every way and that he's not left us alone and he's not left us orphans, the joy can come back. Oh, gosh, the enemy, he wants to rob you. He wants to steal you. He wants you to walk around. He wants you to be bummed. He wants you to be, he wants, he wants to just render you ineffective. And the moment you step out, guys, and you go, okay, that's it. I know that the enemy's robbing my joy. So I'm going to start telling people about Jesus. He comes even harder and harder and harder, just like we learned. The opposition doesn't give up. But then it comes where God says, okay, that's enough. My children are going to be victorious. The Bible tells us that you are more than conquerors, more than conquerors. And so again, think about it in your own life. Let the work of the Holy Spirit dig deep in your heart and say, God, where am I with you? Have I allowed circumstances? Have I allowed things? Have I allowed worry to rob me of the things of, of this wonderful joy of knowing you? Well, I want to replace that knowing that you have provided the second thing, the second thing he says, okay, so the first thing is that, man, not only, not only, I mean, are you, they're going to rebuild the temple, but, but the enemy's going to pay for it. And he says, and the second thing, anyone who violates this edict is going to suffer death. Look at verse 11. I also issue a decree that whatever alters this edict, let a timber be pulled from the house and erect it and let him be hanged on it. And let this house be made a refuge heap because of this. And may the God who causes his name to dwell there destroy any king or people who put their hands to alter it or destroy the house of God which is in Jerusalem. I, Darius, issue a decree. Let it be done diligently. Don't you just love that? Hey, anybody wants to stop the work? We're going to take wood. You're going to hang on it. You're done. Anyone wants to stop the work of God? Guys, right here, 
the return of our joy, we see God provide for our needs in only the way he can. And in verse 14, we're going to actually see more proof of God's providential care. It's further alluded to, basically alluded in the mention that the building was completed according to God's command and also the decree of Cyrus, Darius, and then he's going to actually name Artaxerxes, okay? And we'll get to that in a minute. Okay, so what happens? That's the letter. And now the temple is going to be completed, right? Tears in the first half of our story. Chapter 4, tears, work, stop. Now joy that it's finished. Verse 13, then Tetanai, the governor beyond the the river, and Sheshthayar, Bonzanai, and their companions diligently did according to what King Darius had sent. So the elders... And the Jews built, and they prospered through prophesying of Haggai and the prophet Zechariah, the son of Edo. And they built and finished it according to the commandment of God of Israel and according to the commandment of who? Cyrus, Darius, and he mentions Artaxerxes, king of Persia. Now, the temple was finished on the third day of the month of Adar, which was the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. Now, here's just the thought, okay? I just want to bring it out to you because we are a Bible-teaching church. The question would be, why did Ezra mention Artaxerxes, who reigned about 50 years after the completion of the temple? He probably did it for political protocol in that Artaxerxes was actually reigning king when Ezra wrote this book. And since he had been kind enough to issue a decree for the rebuilding of Jerusalem's walls, Book of Nehemiah, Ezra wanted to give him credit in case he read this account. So he mentions Artaxerxes in there. What's the case in point? You'll often get people go, I have a question. The Bible just contradicted itself. You go, how so? Well, in the book right here, the the temple was the, you know, the foundation of the temple was completed, and Artaxerxes wasn't even in reign. He didn't reign until 50 years later. With just a little bit of study, you could see, oh, okay, this ties into the book of Nehemiah in which he did reign in the rebuilding of the walls. Everybody got it? Beautiful. Point number two, God wants us to know the joy of what? Even if productivity in service for him. You go, what do you mean? Guys, there's joy in serving the Lord. It says in verse 15, now the temple was finished in the third year. We saw that of Adar which was the sixth year of King Darius, verse 16. Then the children of Israel, the priests, the Levites, and the rest of the descendants of, of captivity celebrated the dedication of the house with great, with, sorry, celebrated the house of God with joy. Guys, again, think about it. They actually worked and they finished it. Now, the temple was finally finished 20 years after the foundation was laid, 20 years. Just over four years after the rebuilding had begun under the ministries of Haggai and Zechariah. But here's what I want you to see. Here's what he wants us to get. Guys, if you are being robbed of your joy, and again, I'm bringing it, trying to bring it personal. If you're being robbed of your joy, you need to look and go, am I really serving the Lord? Because there's joy in serving the Lord. There's joy in, in go, what, what, what do you want me to do, pastor? I'm just, again, why? I want you to note the last line. The children of Israel, the priests, the Levites, the rest of the descendants in captivity, they celebrated the dedication of the house with God with joy. Here's the thing, guys. God builds his, he builds his kingdom. He builds his with service. With service. There is nothing more that brings great joy when, you, when God uses you in his service. 
There's nothing more. And you're just like, wow. The first time you lead somebody to Jesus, you're so excited. You God, can we do this again? Can we do this again? Wow, the first time, guys, I ever discovered that I had uh, the gift of evangelism, I remember I was teaching, and I was teaching back in Rio Rancho, and I had given an altar call, and, and hey, how many of you want, and, and I'm telling you what, people started responding, and, and the row started filling up, and I'm like, that's cool, that's cool, and more people kept coming, and more, and all of a sudden, I realized there was all these people in front, and the rows, and I was just like... And it was so amazing. And, and, and the first thing that I realized is that it wasn't me, that God had did this. But it was so cool. I was like, God, can we do this again? Can we do this again? I love seeing people get saved. I want their lives changed. And that's the burden of the heart that God has given me. I want to see life change. As a matter of fact, if you ask Nathalie, Nathalie says, hey, when we go to Lubbock, here's my heart. My heart is we want to see people living victoriously. We're tired of the devil ripping people off. And I want to see people living victorious. I don't care if we have 20 people in our whole church as long as they're living victorious lives for God. And that's really where we are, and that's how we see it's the joy of serving, and, the, and, and, and we need to celebrate. What do we need to celebrate, church? You ready? We need to celebrate the wins. The devil gets so many losses. When we win, we need to celebrate that. woo I made it, like, you know, whatever it is. Whatever it is, we need to celebrate. How did you do that? Awesome. Praise the Lord. Let's celebrate. You're buying coffee. You know, whatever it is. But we need to celebrate the wins. Why? Joy comes from serving God. Guys, we, we should find it much greater joy when we see the Lord using us in the building of his spiritual temple, the church. Last, last thought here. God wants us to know the joy of praising him corporately, corporately. Why? Well, when the temple was completed, the people gathered and celebrated the dedication of the house. Did you guys see that? Guys, it's so cool because here's the thing. I'll never forget. I remember sitting at Calvary Chapel one time, and I was right down there, and, 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 and I remember going, God, if you could just use me to encourage. And in my worship, one of the guys got off the worship team and said, man, you were just encouraging me in your worship. And I was like, ah, and it's just, it's just so cool. Why? I was thinking maybe I could speak to somebody or somebody needed something. But guys, here's the thing. When we praise and worship corporately, you might have come in Wednesday night and you might have been just bummed out, man. Total tripped out because of the world. You might have had just a really bad day. And then you see people worshiping the Lord and your heart softens a little bit. And you're like, wow, there is joy. There's joy. Why? Because here's the one thing we need to know. Number one, we need to realize that there's nobody who has it together here. We need to, I mean, people come in and go, man, these people feel like they all have it together. They're raising their hands. They're lifting their hands. Oh, it's so good. Listen, we're all struggling, and that's the one thing they need to know. We're all struggling, and we're in this together. Nobody has it together. Trust me. And God wants us to know the joy of praising him corporately. Corporately. All right, let me close with this. God also wants us to know the joy of purity and obedience to him. You go, how so? Notice it says in verse 17 through the end. And they offered sacrifices, right, at the dedication of the house of God. 100 bulls, 
200 rams, 400 lambs, and a sin offering for all Israel, 12 male goats, according to the number of the tribes of Israel. Now, let me stop you right there. Everybody see that? Where did they get all of this stuff? Oh, yeah, from the enemy. Why? Because God had already provided. Doesn't that really bring joy when you know that God has provided for you already? Let me ask you, let me ask you a question. Doesn't it bring joy knowing that God is already, he's already there tomorrow before we even get there? They assigned the priests their divisions, verse 18, and Levites to their divisions over the service of God in Jerusalem as is written in the book of Moses and the descendants of the captivity of the Passover of the 14th day of the month for the priests and the Levites had what? Notice they had purified themselves. All of them were ritually clean and they slaughtered the Passover lambs for all the descendants of captivity for their brethren and priests and for themselves. Let me stop right there for just a moment. Guess what? They were thinking of their brothers even if they hadn't come to Jerusalem. What a great application. Continue to pray for those even if they're not in church tonight. Even if they're a long way off. Even if they're not walking with Jesus. Over here they're like, they weren't going, well they didn't come, sorry for them. We're just going to sacrifice for it. They're like, no, we got to remember. Here's why. Listen, we're a family. We're a family. Then the children of Israel who had returned from captivity ate together with all those who had separated themselves from the filth of the nations of the land in order to seek the Lord God of Israel. And they kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with joy. For the, made, for the Lord made them joyful and turned the heart of the king of Assyria toward them to strengthen their hands in the work of the house of God and God, the God of Israel. Guys, listen, for there to be true joy in our worship, there must be holiness in our lives. We must separate ourselves from the impurity of the nations. It is, it is hypocrisy that the Lord hates if we like live like the nations all week and then we come in here in front of the Lord and worship him like nothing. If we want true joy, guys, true joy comes from what? Purity and obedience. You go, well, what do you mean? Well, it's at the point, guys, now where we just say, hey, I'm here. We confess that, Lord, I'm here. I just want to be clean. I just want to obey. I know the moment I walk out those doors, Lord, that, um, man, the enemy's going to be there. I know there's going to be opposition. I know there's going to be drama. But I'm tired, of the, I'm tired of the enemy. I'm tired of things. I'm tired of circumstances. Maybe circumstances that I create rob me of my joy. I want the joy of the Lord. I want to keep my eyes and my heart and my mind focused on him. And part of that joy is what? Knowing that he's already taking tomorrow. Part of that joy is in service of him. And part of that joy is re- trying to remain pure with an obedient heart. 
Listen, weeping may endure for a night, but joy definitely comes in the morning. Joy comes in the morning. You might be going through a season now where you're struggling and you're weeping. Hold your head up, Christian, because joy is around the corner. And the joy of the Lord is your strength. Put your faith in God. Put your faith in God and don't look back. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Do you remember that? The cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back. No turning back. Father, thank you for your word tonight. We worship you. In Jesus' name. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.